Welcome to the Jack and Around Show, hosted by two-time Academy of Country Music Award winner, Jack Ingram. Coming up in two minutes, Jack welcomes the queen of Austin, Texas, singer-songwriter Kelly Willis. I'm producer Matt Pivoto. To learn more about Kelly, Jack, and the show, check the description. Also in the description is a link to access jackandaroundshow.com, where you'll find the most up-to-date news, upcoming release schedule, and links to watch this episode on YouTube or to listen on your favorite audio platform and to access the back catalog of episodes. Before we begin, here's a one-minute preview of episode 28, followed by a quick word from Jack on behalf of our sponsor, Lone Star Dry Goods. So when I was nine, my parents split up and my mom left. I was raised by my dad, who was in the military working all the time. And then the older I got, the closer my family was able to get again. When you were in the rockabilly world, did you do the whole big makeup and like all the skirts? And I had a pompadour. Moss would do my pompadour for me. I'd do a ponytail and he would pull it out and we'd get the aquanet. You worked with Scott Borchetta. I did. So Scott was brand new back then, an independent promoter. He did what he could. I really didn't get a lot of radio play, but you were on MCA though. Like after media training, did they send you out on a radio tour? And yeah, oh, it was awful. I was so bad at that, Jack. I was not prepared for that. And so to me, it's funny that after I made what I deserve and I had more success in this kind of independent world, that I was able to go find the career path that fit me. That I could understand and that I could be successful at. Yeah. Jack and Around Show is presented by Lone Star Dry Goods, curated collection of handcrafted quality goods, the truly unique Americana vibe. Visit Lone Star Dry Goods in person right here at the World Headquarters in historic downtown Abilene, Texas, just west of Fort Worth and Willow Park. We're online at LoneStarDryGoods.com. Last time I talked to him was on that boat. A couple years ago when Bruce and I drove down to Oh yeah. Port A or where does he go? Rockport? Rockport. And Charlie was pissed because we weren't going 150 miles offshore. Right. I thought we were going down, so did Bruce, to rehearse and like right. relearn our songs and right. stuff. I'm not gonna do something real quick and I'll be ready. And we get there. A full truck full of shit. Beer, for fishing? drinks, oh. food, enough what for like you? a three day trip. Mm. And I was like, Bruce, this doesn't look like. <laughs> I was like, I thought we were going to. Where's like the guitars? A rod and reel off the, <laughs> off the dock and fish right. and talk. <laughs> Next thing I know, I'm having to negotiate with Charlie and I made up a basketball game. I was like, dude, I got to get back to coach. (laughs) (laughs) Well, fuck man. (laughs) There's no, there's no good fish 30 miles off. I was like, I don't fucking care. (laughs) I'm not going to catch anything. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't caught a fish since I was seven years old. Oh yeah. The last time I caught a fish though. Real snapped in half. That means you had a big fish. I don't know. It was in like a little pond. Maybe. Maybe. Was it in, was it out of the studio? No. No, it was at a uh, cousin, uh, Robison Cousins place. Are you done? I'm ready. Hold this. I'm going to hold yeah, this pick for <laughs> security. <laughs> <laughs> You're yeah, nervous. Yeah. I'm nervous. Are you nervous? He is. Not nervous, nervous. Yes, he, he said he was nervous. Called me twice this week. Well, now I'm nervous. Don't be nervous. Okay, don't you be nervous. <laughs> don't you be nervous. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> We've known each other for how long? I don't know. A long time. Since longer than... Well, I can only remember about three years back, I was saying earlier. So I know it's before that. It would have been 90... I don't know when we met. I just feel like I've always known you. Oh. Really? <laughs> I have always known you. I, we played that little charity event for your, fr- your friend with Sean Colvin, 
We had that picture together. Oh, yeah. Was that when we met? No. No, we met before that. We met before that, but. That was 91, I think. Wasn't it? No, No, it was probably 99. It was 95 or 96. Yeah. What was her name? Oh, um. It'll come to me in a minute and I'll blurt it out. Christy something. Yes. Or, Chris uh, McKay. That's it. Mm-hmm. Where is she now? You don't know. I know that she was, for a while, she was being like a personal chef to people, at, like fancy people in L.A. You ever see Sean? Uh, I do see Sean every now and then, but not very often. I've only seen her in airports for the last 20 years. Right. I'm doing a songwriter retreat next week with a bunch of girls and she's supposed to come. Kick it off for us. What are you doing? Um, Betty Sue asked me to come join her and uh, several other girls. And we're just, it's just two nights where we're. Betty Sue. Yeah. You know her? She's fantastic. Mm-mm. You should check her out. She's a songwriter? Um, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, she plays all over town and Continental Club. What's gallery. this new thing you're doing? New thing? The, with with uh, Brennan Lee? Oh. <laughs> oh yeah that's new <laughs> it's new um yeah i guess i had done some festival bruce and i had done some festival and we were on the bill with brennan and then we did uh one of our i think we did one of our christmas shows one year and she opened it up at the globe theater and i was just so jealous i wanted to play with just a couple of things Without a whole lot of stage volume, I have a lot of material that I feel like I never get to play. Mm-hmm. It's not the right setting. And so I sent her an email and asked her if she and Melissa Carper wanted to swap songs together. and But not just like a song swap where we actually play each other's songs like a band. Mm-hmm. Sing on each other's songs like, you know, no surprises. We know this material kind of stuff. So, so yeah. just three three guitars? No, Melissa plays the stand-up bass, mm-hmm. and then I play some rhythm guitar, and then Brennan is a badass. She's a real guitar player. player. Yeah. Are y'all playing like jazzy stuff or just old country stuff or your it's stuff? It's pretty much old country stuff. I mean, uh, our material, you know, we each take, we do swap songs, so it'll be a Brennan song, one of mine, and one of Melissa's. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's fun. And their songs are so good. It's so, you know, the fun part about playing is when you get to just do the harmony parts, mm-hmm. and just play on someone else's stuff. Yeah. It's way more fun. I never got to play in a band. Yeah. Like. And you never, and you still kind of never really have. Like for me with Bruce, when we decided to do this duo thing. Yeah. It was the first time that I got to, you know, just step back and play with the band, let somebody else deal with the telling a story and leading the evening, you know, right. and just, it was so different and just really freeing and fun. I've I mean, had you, that you've feeling. done some of that, right? Well, I've had that feel, I, I guess with Bruce yeah, and Charlie, and Charlie, I've gotten to play their songs kind of, yeah. but it's like to really settle into a groove with a band and not feel the need to, yeah. Lead the evening and be the lead yeah. singer. Yeah. It's fun. It is. There's just, you kind of feel your whole self settle into a groove. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. It really, um, it changed a lot for me to get to do that, to learn how to, well, if you're having fun, it's just a different thing. You know, you're able to present the show differently and, can take that away with me when I go do my own show. I remember, you know, some of that stuff. I don't need to be so worried. It's going to be fine. And um, it's just real different. Have you always dealt with kind of that anxiety of leading the show? Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) So when did we first meet? (laughs) Because I used to have my social anxiety was so bad. I could hardly even speak. And um, I mean, in my first band, um, 
So I was dating the drummer and eventually married him, Mas Palermo. And he used to just have to speak for me. And he wasn't like (laughs) trying to speak for me. It would just be like sometimes people would ask me stuff and I would and he'd just go, uh, he'd rescue me all the time. Um, So that's why you married him. That was a big part of his job in our relationship. And then he was your high school boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah, I was still in high school. He, I, mean, I met him in high school, but it's a little funny because I was a freshman and he was a senior. And then it wasn't until I was a senior that we started dating. So he's like three years out of high school at that point. Did you dating make him- a high school girl? Which now seems weird, but at the time it didn't seem weird at all. Well, that depends on the dude. Because yeah. there's also the, the stereotype of the older dude coming back to right, the high the school. Right, the creepy dude. <laughs> yeah, the, right. Going to the high school right. prom. And Moss is not. He's like the opposite of creepy dude. He was a good guy. Right. So you did. So you, how did you deal with that? I know you met, you were an army brat. Yeah. So that must have been painful. To be that shy. Was it shy? Um, You know, it's funny. I don't know that I was that shy when I was little. Like, I was quiet. Mm -hmm. It was definitely quiet and um, stuff. But it wasn't until I got into the last few years of high school that it kicked in. This um, really bad social phobia. Yeah. And it took me a long time. People just deal with that differently. I mean, for you, it was... To back away for me was to move forward. Right. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's just an equal and opposite reaction to the same right. problem. Right. You to know? get louder. Yeah. I would just go, <laughs> okay, well, oh my God. Oh my God. Hey, everybody. <laughs> right. Oh my God. No, for me, my mind just fogs over. Like I will be in a room with people and I would have had things that I wanted to say or stuff to contribute fully realized thoughts, you know, and I would open my mouth to say something. And after the third word, it would evaporate. Like I'd have no (laughs) idea where I was going. And I would just have to find some words to shut the sentence down. Like, and that was fun. You know, like it would make no sense really. And people would look at me like, okay. And (laughs) And it's almost like you were paralyzed like in some stories or movies or whatever where mm-hmm. the person's paralyzed and they're trying so hard to yes I'm right I'm here yes, I'm right it's, here it's true yeah I mean I, I had all these I wanted to be a part of what was happening but um it takes me a while I have to if I know you then if we're like safe then I can easily talk and think of what I want to say but if it's a room full of people that I don't know that well. That is a trip to think about and to hear you say that because it, it really is the same. I don't right. settle down until I feel that same safety. Right. Like I don't get, I don't quiet down. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. <laughs> until- gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Because what I know about you is you make everybody feel like they know you and everybody can talk with you really easily. And you take time to talk to Anybody in the entourage that you've just met and you hit it off with them. I mean, that's what I've observed about you. Well, that's kind of the, yeah, I guess so. Cause it's the only way I can feel comfortable is if mm-hmm. I think everybody else, as long as everybody else is cool, they're not looking at me. Right. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. good. Hmm, I gotta try that. <laughs> it's a trip. Did you ever get like, did you ever go to therapy about it or? Mm, well, sure. <laughs> I mean, it's come up in all any therapy that I've ever done, but I didn't like go to therapies specifically for that. But I'll tell you what, did you ever do um, media training when you were up in Nashville? I never had to do that. Mm, I did it. How was that? I've always <laughs> that heard was about like it. Therapy. I mean, I think I cried the whole time. It was definitely therapy for me. Like I didn't want it to be. Did you go with like Holly Gleason or? No, I can't remember the woman who gave me the sessions but she was really cool and she could see what she was dealing with you know but um 
I was terrified because I came from rockabilly world mm -hmm. and rockabilly people are serious about um, knowing the history and all the names and dates and, you know, yeah, they're, they're, and they're critical. And so I, every interview I thought was like a test and that I was going to get revealed to be fake, you know, not, not worthy of being interviewed, which of course I wasn't really worthy of being <laughs> interviewed, but it was but nobody is right so oh that must have been terrifying because you thought all those people because i was already trying to bridge some different worlds you know i was brought in to be that kind of artist that was you know gonna try to take some of that less nashville country and merge with the mainstream country and make it all work. So I was already one foot and two feet in different worlds. Who were so. you? Who were your contemporaries at that time? Like Patty Loveless was big. Mm -hmm. um, so Steve Earle and Lyle Levitt and Nancy Griffith had just gotten escorted out of town. You know, shifted over to the New York label. Oh right. And um, this was in the early nineties. Yeah, I got signed in, I think I might have gotten signed in 89 and put the record out in 90. Wow. Yeah. So I just came in after that. Um, but they had just signed Trisha Yearwa. They had just signed, um, I guess, like other labels. That Clint Black was new. Um, yeah, that yeah. Killing Time came out in 89. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I remember that video so well because my video for I Don't Want to Love You, But I Do was out at the same time. So anytime that there was a show, they were going to debut these things. I saw that one all the time. How old were you when you got signed? Um, I think I was 20. Um, I had So I had this great manager, Carlin Major. She was this just ballsy woman, like Texas she woman. We talked about her with Matt Hillier the other day. Oh, really? On the yeah, because she managed him too. That's right. When he was sixteen, up, yeah. seventeen, and Monty Warden was a teenager when she that must have been her <laughs> deal. But she also was working with Marsha Ball when I met her, and Marsha was established already. But um, she really liked that I I was nineteen when I met her and she wanted me to be nineteen when we were pitching to the labels in Nashville. She thought that was a So I know we said I was nineteen. So you forgot your age. After I was already twenty. I'm not so I get confused about it. That's funny. But I think I was twenty when we signed, maybe twenty one. Now hold on. <laughs> it doesn't explain to me how you wanted like the being quiet and shy or whatever that whatever mm -hmm. that was how does that line up with wanting to get signed to a label and make records and right and put oh, yourself I don't know. out there i just think i think there are tons of people who are creative that love making art in some way that are all that when they go step in you know, step onto the stage to do it, go, oh, shit. <laughs> I didn't know I, I was going to be <laughs> shy. this way. <laughs> but now, were you, were, it made me feel so happy and alive the first time I stepped on stage and sang. And I just wanted more of that. And I, I wanted to step up off the wall. I wanted to, you know, be doing something and uh, be living a big life, you know. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I mean, it was going to be really hard for me to pull it off, but I wanted it. Yeah. When you were in the rockabilly world, were you like, did you do the whole big makeup and <laughs> like all the skirts? and? I had a pompadour. Moss would do my pompadour for me. I'd do a ponytail and he would pull it out and we'd get the aquanet. And I'd have this big old <laughs> pompadour in my ponytail. So... That that was fun. I don't know if I did. Oh, I did used to do a Marilyn Monroe mole. You did? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you get into the dancing part, too? Like, were you part of the audience or were you always a part of the stage? Um, no, I watched a lot of it, too. And um, 
that reminds me of when Carlin first started to work with us. She she would come out to the show. She was a big picture kind of a manager. You know, mm -hmm. like you felt like you were working for her instead of her working for you. But she would come to the show and take notes, you know. <laughs> and really? She, there was this dance that I used to do, believe it or not, that the because rockabilly back then was also kind of a little a little bit of a punk rockabilly thing going on. But there was this dance where I would stomp my foot and kind of do this thing that I had seen some other girl do, and I loved it. And she goes, Kelly, you got to stop doing that. You look like you're sitting on a toilet. <laughs> oh, okay. That I, helps. I don't want to look like that. Yeah, and she, she had notes for everyone. It was terrifying. That's funny. You're the second person that Matt Hillier was talking about that, about how she would read him the riot act kind of yeah like here's what you're doing wrong here's what here's this here's that the wagoneers called it the long ride north because she lived way north of time north of town and they knew if they were going up there they were getting they were gonna get you know read the riot act about something where was the first time you stepped on stage um in high school they had my senior year they had a, a battle of the bands and um all the guys in my band had graduated already, so we weren't allowed to compete, but they let us play at intermission. <laughs> so, so I got up there and we did some Collins Kids tunes and a, uh, I don't remember, maybe a Wanda Jackson song. Wow. Yeah. Was Moss kind of the, the impetus for you to, he was in the band, he was the drummer, I guess. Yeah, so they were already in a band, these guys, and then they decided to regroup and when they were regrouping, Moss and I were like, maybe I could be the singer. So I feel so bad that he had to bring his girlfriend in to be the singer. I'm sure that was awkward, but we, um, <laughs> no, back no, I'm sure that was fine. <laughs> super cool. But we had gone back then on the beach. You probably even had ideas. <laughs> <laughs> if I did, they did not get vocalized. <laughs> uh, one time I remember the guitar player, John Sherrick going, can she sing this and see? <laughs> <laughs> I was so shy I couldn't even answer that question um but back then on the beach they had these recording booths and there was a booth you could get a cassette when you left a, a mini old song you know uh -huh. and um so we did this uh Elvis Presley teddy bear uh-huh I sang it and we used it to get me into the band and I got in you're kidding <laughs> the beach where, where was this um, what town? I guess it was Ocean City in Maryland. I was up in D.C. at that time. Right. So. Okay, where all did you live? As an Army brat? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was born in Oklahoma, and that's where my family's from. Um, but then I lived in Kansas, Georgia, did most of my childhood in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and then my junior high and high school years in Northern Virginia and Annandale. So I was the baby and the more rank you get, you have options. They'll say you could stay here two more years or go here. Mm -hmm. So my dad kept choosing to stay. How many brothers and sisters do you have? Just one of each older. How much older? Us, my brother's seven years older and my sister's five years older, but she'll say four. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Because it makes thing. her seem older, if I, but the truth is it's closer to five. Wow. <laughs> Did you enjoy that? Like, was that a good childhood? Um, it was okay. It was, uh, so when I was nine, my parents split up and my mom left. And so I was raised by my dad who was in the military working all the time. So it, I don't know. I, my family felt all mixed up after that. Where'd your mom go? She moved to New York. She was doing acting. And she moved to New York with um, Ed Dennehy, who's Brian Dennehy's brother. And um, went up there. And then she moved to, back to Oklahoma. And then she went to L.A. And she lived in L.A. for a long time. Is she still living? No, she passed away in 2014. Did you guys have a good relationship or was it tough well it wasn't bad it just was she was just gone so i would talk to her maybe once a month so but after 
I moved out, turned 18, then we got closer at that point. We were able to Did you kind see of, each other a lot more. And then we, I mean, it was, we were never like on the outs or anything. Right. We all, it was always fine. Did you begin to understand, is that, is that a part <laughs> of what you do as for like, as a singer, like as a performer, is that right. part of where you got that? For sure. I Because being young, when I got signed, everybody would go, How, where does this, she's singing about heartbreak and she's 20. How could she even know? And I used to really annoy me because young people experience all kinds of heartbreak. That's right. And for me, my, you know, my mom left me when I was nine and I can't imagine a bigger heartbreak for a kid. Like, of course, you know about heartbreak when you're a kid. Absolutely. In fact, you probably, I mean, this is all just my thoughts, but I remember feeling so much more intense emotions Yeah, because you don't really have the defense mechanisms to, to block it off. Yeah. And, um. Yeah, you haven't learned how to hide. Yeah, <laughs> you really feel. I remember in the sixth mm-hmm. grade feeling heartbreak. This mm-hmm. girl broke my heart, and I, I remember that's when I realized that in the morning you feel mm-hmm. worse. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you have a song about that? I don't know if I do or not, <laughs> but I know it's a part of my songs. Some mm-hmm. of them because I just know that feeling when you when you're like, mm-hmm. oh my god, this. Wanting to have distance between you and the emotion, mm-hmm. you know, the longer the day gets, the more you mm-hmm. are distracted. Yeah. But yeah, nine, nine, not understanding why your mom left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <Can you? laughs> this thing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but it wasn't. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it has was just misery. It's no, just, I get it. It's just when I think of my childhood, I just think of that that divorce and us rebuilding. And then we did rebuild. My dad remarried, and when I was thirteen, and um, and then the older I got, the closer my family was able to get again. It was just that that one little period of time where, you know, everybody it, it was just a big freak out and. You know, my brother also went off to college, and it was just a strange yeah, time. Yeah, it's like an earthquake. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Did your dad take to being a single dad for a while? Like, how was that? How was that? Well, so my dad, I mean, he was a teenager in the 50s, and he's an Army guy. So, you know, he w- had not been changing diapers and stuff, right? So this was new, <laughs> new territory was for him. Was he a lucky strike kind of in his sleeve kind of guy? He was... He was a badass. He was, you know, a, a really great soldier and um, career army. Um, but he was also charming and funny and um, handsome. Just a he. My I just loved him. So he's my hero. But he, it was definitely new ground for him to suddenly have to do everything when he had done. Only being the soldier before that. Right. Coming home. <laughs> yeah. Having a drink, whatever. Right. Being a being a man of he, that time. Yeah, being the dad. And hopefully he's not going to have to spank anybody because, you know, like, just wait till your dad comes home and kind of yeah. stuff. That era. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that happened to me one time. My dad had to whip me with a belt. Oh, yeah. I got spanked with a belt one time. And he said, <laughs> as he recalled later, he, it it really did. Like, he hated it. Yeah. That's what my dad said, too. It was like one time. Mostly it was the fear of getting spanked with the belt. Yeah. My dad would do that thing where yeah. he'd pop it. And Why snap. was this okay? This was <laughs> totally okay. And no one thought it was weird. I know. And the, poor the, guys that they're like. This is my job in the family. Like I don't right. get to just be loving and I have to come home and beat somebody up <laughs> who's who's four feet smaller than me. Yeah, yeah. So you it sounds like your father. He's not alive anymore. He passed away. No, he did pass away in two thousand. Right, right before I had my first kid. So, but we had to do in vitro for that baby, and he. He paid for it. And he knew that I was pregnant before he died. So oh, it was really? pretty sweet. And then we had a boy. It was the first grandbaby 
boy in the family. So we named him after my dad. Daryl. Daryl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dodie. Yeah. We how'd call that, him Dodie. How'd that come about? Because his real name <laughs> is Daryl Otis. And we were thinking, well, maybe we'll call him D.O. Like, it was awkward for me to call him my dad's name. Uh so we were coming up with nicknames, and Dodie just happened. And I remember um, someone going, well, be careful. Those nicknames have a way of sticking. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, we call him Dodie. And he tries to go by Daryl at work and at college and stuff like that. He does? <laughs> I think Dodie's a great name. I do, too. I think it's it sounds like a baseball player's name to me. <laughs> That's right. kind of does. <laughs> Do they go by Robison? Yeah. And Willis is your maiden name? It is. And um, my youngest son's middle name is Willis. So we got that in there. But yeah, I think I had changed it to Palermo when I married Moss. But I always went by Willis was, you know, was already making records. We got married the year we signed to MCA. So I was already on record as Kelly Willis. Mm -hmm. And then when Bruce and I got married, I was like, I'm not changing my name. Yeah. That's a troubling last name anyway. Yeah, it is. I call him Charlie Robeson, Bruce Robeson. (laughs) (laughs) I remember we were doing an interview one time and the disc jockey goes, is it, is it uh, Robeson? And Bruce goes, yeah. (laughs) It's not Robeson. Why did you say that? And he's like, I don't know. I couldn't. <laughs> now, when you were married, when you got signed, mm-hmm. do, do female artists, I remember feeling a certain unspoken, like they wished I wasn't married. Oh, right. Like right. that whole Elvis thing of like, yeah. don't talk about that. Yeah. I didn't, and then nobody ever said it to me, but did, do, did well, you feel like a certain sense of that? I remember everyone going, oh, you guys are getting married? Mm, good luck with that. You know, because we did get divorced a year later. So <laughs> right. they were right. But, um, yeah, I think they would have preferred young single person, right? I mean, I guess if I was running a label and mm-hmm. signed a beautiful young 19-year-old woman, yeah. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Just different. But then they did need someone to speak for me, so it was pretty good that he was there. <laughs> now, then I started being able to do interviews, and then I remember it was like, Moss was like, well, <laughs> you don't need me at this interview. You he had his, his role was taken away. I don't know if it was taken away. We can talk about that later. <laughs> that, that involves a copay. <laughs> <laughs> you worked with Scott Borchetta. I did. So Scott was brand new back then, an independent promoter. And we hired him. He was kind of, he would work, known for working the edgier stuff, you know, the not straight up country stuff. And so we brought him in to do that. And it was, you know, those were exciting times. And he was full of all kinds of energy to, and he, you know, did he did what he could. I really didn't get a lot of radio play, but right. You were on MCA though. Mm-hmm. Did they send you through the like, after media training? Did they send you out on a radio tour? And yep. Oh, it was awful. I was so bad at that, Jack. I mean, awful. But like, after they would always have these cute stories about how funny Trisha Yearwood was because she had just been through and she would charm them all, and I was just. I mean, hardly speaking, it was such hard work. And, uh, and then I would cry every night in the hotel room, just cry my eyes out because it was so miserable. You did the dinners. Dinners. Oh, the, yeah. Uh, the the conference room performance, mm-hmm. the whole bit. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people were kind, you know, and they added me because I was Tony Brown's pet project. So I did get some ads, but, you know. After that kind of generous time was over, they were like, and I don't blame them. I wasn't really, I wasn't cut out for that at all. That wasn't my strong suit. Right. I mean, I was young. I'm not sure I had a strong suit yet, but. um, I did notice 
that after you, I mean, it wasn't like a thing that I was really noticing, but like after you had a child, Mm. it really seemed like you you felt like it was, there was a change in your approach to all this stuff. Did you feel that? I felt a change after leaving Nashville and when I, I put out what I deserve um, and I was, you know, not in Nashville proper anymore and I was finding my own, I was finding my path. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for sure when I had a kid and I, I had to be the grown up and uh, that changed the way I did stuff too. I just got more. I just became more of a grown up. I guess I noticed it just as a friend. Yeah. I noticed. I, how do I put this? <laughs> Careful. I didn't feel nervous. Around me. For you. Oh, that's good. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Like the word that comes to mind is like you, you kind of became fully realized in a sense. Yeah. Like, At some point. I feel like I did everything wrong that you could possibly do on stage and I survived and I learned that I would, if I fell, done that, you know, (laughs) forget the words, done that a thousand times, whatever it is, I knew that it was no big deal and everything just relaxed after that. But also having kids, I guess you, you have this other thing in your life that, is so rewarding and worth living for. And you can go, Oh, who gives a crap about right? whatever happens out here? Right. I get to go home. And Was what I deserve the record that is. really took off? Yeah. I mean, that really, I remember it sold like a couple hundred thousand copies or something. Yeah. I think it was, I don't know, over a hundred thousand. It's a big record. It was for me. I'd only ever sold about ten or fifteen thousand each when I was on MCA. What were your records on MCA? Um, the first one was called Well Traveled Love, and that was a band record. Right. And then the second one was called Bang Bang. That's right. And then the third one was self titled. Mm-hmm. What What's one that you better look at? That's um, that's on the self titled one. Yeah. And Tony Brown and Don West produced that one together. Wow. Yeah. That was crazy. How was it working with Don Was? It was great. So, because he came in, I guess he was doing, remember those Red Hot records? It was Red Hot and Country. So he, they uh, were raising money for AIDS. I don't know what the company was called, but. um, So he had come into town to put like a, rock guy with a country person and do these things and had seen one of my records in passing and was like, well, that's cool. And so, so are you the first thing that he did in Nashville? Well, other he's been, than that, I don't know. He might've been doing some other stuff right around that time, but yeah, maybe. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Cause he's, he's kind of stuck around Nashville for since then. Yeah. He's, he's always like the band leader for things and, yeah. Works with Buddy Miller on stuff, and yeah, maybe so. Maybe I, I was in the early days, anyway. mm-hmm. and um, it was really nice because everybody was so impressed with Don was that Don could have some idea or some outside idea or some instrumentation that they would have really thought was weird, but if it was his idea, they go, uh, uh, "Okay, cool, let's do that," <laughs> and right. so. I was really excited by that. We were able to, that record was really fun to make. And it was a great record. I felt creative. And- I think that's when I jumped on the Kelly Willis train. Oh, cool. Because I remember buying that record. Oh, great. Was that 90? I think it came out 93. See? And then I got dropped. 94. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I loved it, then <laughs> that was usually a pretty good sign. That was the sign. sign. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> I should have known that about my own career. <laughs> that when I like something, it's probably on its way. Don't go, don't go with that, right? It's not going to happen in Nashville. But I loved my time in Nashville. Did you? I mean, you still doing stuff in Nashville? I loved it. I love yeah. it. I think it's 
I've always had a real healthy relationship with Nashville just because I guess, you know, I'm a Willie Nelson disciple as we all are, but Mm -hmm. I remember thinking about how to, I didn't know what a career in music was. Mm -hmm. So I just read the liner notes of records that I liked Mm -hmm. and everything that, like being left of center didn't really make sense to me. All I knew was that I really, like all my heroes made records in Nashville or had management in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't really dawn on me that there was a a center and a left of center right. until I really got there. All I knew is that I didn't like a lot of the center records, Yeah, but they weren't on my radar. I didn't buy them. Right. But I love Clint Black. I love Killing Time. I love, yeah. and so- I just yeah, always knew. always great stuff there. Um, you just have to wait around for it, you know? Yeah. And all music's like that. Somebody has to do the business part. Right. And. Right. But it is a bubble there. Mm-hmm. And um, when you're, if you've been in it, then you understand that a lot of what's happening outside of that bubble never registers there. Like they don't know about it. Um so it's interesting. Yeah, my, I mean, uh, I just always loved it that, that there was a place you could throw a big net, mm-hmm. like a, yeah. you know, if, if that thing when they throw yeah. out and then you pull it back in and there's some fish in it. Yeah, that's kind of what I always thought yeah. of it as, and I, I was, was like, well, and I knew that a lot of people, a lot of my, a lot of artists that I dug from Austin or from Texas or whatever. Mm-hmm. I would always wonder why they, like, I was trying to figure out, like, that guy's great. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't he have anything going on? Right. And Nashville <laughs> solved that. <Yeah. laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. you got to go do this other thing. Yeah. And that's okay. They, yeah, they've got to make some money. And now, especially, I don't know how they make money. So they're investing all this money in someone. But it didn't really, it just didn't fit me. And, it's funny because when I first wanted to be a musician, I loved these kind of regional acts or these kind of mid-tier bands. And I moved to Austin because of the Leroy Brothers and the Tailgaters. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of a life really appealed to me. I didn't know me. who those – were they rockabilly bands or – Yeah. Uh, no, they were kind of – I don't know what if you call it rockabilly, but it was just – Roots Rock. Mm-hmm. And Evan Johns. Did you ever know Evan Johns and the H-Bombs? Mm-hmm. Just great, rootsy, grungy guitar. Uh, um, great. St- and also like the Fabulous Thunderbirds. I wanted. That's why I wanted to move here. And when I got here, I mean, we were doing, we had a Patsy Cline song in the show and we had a, you know, an Ernest Tubb song in there and stuff, but... Carlin was like, when you sing country, that's where your voice is happy. And it just sounds, that's what you need to be doing. And and when I got here, there was so much country music that I had never really heard of. Like I I loved all the, the what I thought of as the cool 60s stuff that was kind of like rockabilly. Mm-hmm. But um, then I started hearing all the cool 70s stuff that I had completely written off. Um. And was able to kind of see how much there is in country, how much growth potential there is in country music. Mm-hmm. Rockabilly, you really can't do anything all that groundbreaking or, you know, it's kind right. of a structure. Because it was groundbreaking when it was yeah. breaking. <laughs> and and it's super fun. I still love it. But it's hard to do something that hasn't been done before. Yeah, it kind of paints itself in a corner. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that story. Sounds like Carlin was cool though. Sounds she like was she was cool. really She was cool, but she was she was just a assertive, aggressive, you know, woman and kind one, of a chick. Oh my god, one time we were in there with um Bruce Hinton, yeah. <laughs> president of MCA at the time. Right? And I don't remember what he said to me, but she said, "Kelly, can you get up and leave the room, please? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I 
And she said, if you ever talk to me like that in front of my client again, like I don't even know what the threat was, but it was don't do that. Like she was not afraid. She was very ballsy. So, and then I came back in and I was like, oh shit, I hope I still have a record. Deal. <laughs> But, yeah, she where, was cool. Where did she pass away? No, she moved recently. She's um, living in the town that her kids are in, so she can be near her grandkids. But she worked on the local Grammy board and helped with, did a lot with uh, South by and. She worked like, with everybody from yeah. here, didn't she? Also work with um, Char Charlie Sexton and. Oh, I don't know. I know that Charlie and Will. So she used to, she and George Majeski used to own the Soap Creek Saloon, mm -hmm. which was a legendary music venue. And I know Charlie and Will were little kids there that kind of grew up. Okay. You know how the story is, how they were always um, sleeping in clubs and stuff. And yeah. They were little kids out at Soap Creek. So who, who did What I Deserve? Who, who produced that record? I started it out in, in um, San Francisco um, with these guys who things didn't go well. And so I, at this point, I was like, no, I'm not making a record. I'm not compromising. I'm not making a record. I'm not 100% into. I just did three years of that and or three records of that. And this may be the last record I ever make. So mm -hmm. it matters to me. So I took my tapes and I came back home. And I uh, brought Chuck Prophet back with me. He had been hired as a gun for hire on that session. On the session. So he came back with me and Mark Spencer, and we got Dave McNair to take what was there and finish it up and started did some new recordings as well. And uh, Wow. That yeah. must have been scary. It as was far as scary. Taking something apart and putting it back together. I've never done that. Yeah, it was scary, but you know, I, I had had it. I the, <laughs> it, the the alternative was to to be passive and do something I wasn't proud of again. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I'm proud of all the things I did in. I was about to say in Nashville, but um, it was always like a a more push and pull than a little. It was always hard, and I just felt like this is it. I need to get it right. You know, I felt was like it, I had never really succeeded with those other records. Was it always the record was supposed to get your career somewhere that, yeah, like a means to an end kind of thing? There was a lot of pressure. Uh, MCA was spending a lot of money on it. And I mean, I only got to do three records there because I was Tony Brown's project, you know, but I, it did feel like I was letting everyone down at every turn. And it just was. It was rough. That's tough. Yeah. I mean, I was never, I was never like stepping up to the plate and hitting it out of the park ever, you know? I mean, okay. I did have some hit videos but <laughs> that didn't turn into anything. Right. That's interesting. So the expectations were out in front of you. Yeah. And they weren't necessarily your, like you sounds like you didn't really have a lot of ownership in, in the yeah. expectations part. Right. But you well, wanted ownership you know, in the music. I was just so young. And I, we got signed. I was a band when we got signed, but they only signed me. And so suddenly I had to become a solo artist. And I had not been there. What was it? Kelly Willis and the? At Radio Ranch. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's a great name. Yeah, it's all right. It's cute. <laughs> <laughs> Before that, my first band was Kelly and the Fireballs. So um, would you have signed Kelly Willis and Radio Ranch, or would you have signed Kelly Willis if you were the label? Like, do you understand it? Yeah. I mean, I and I, for sure, and I understand it. I understood it then. We were lucky to. We made them let the band play on that record. So it was a band record, mm -hmm. even though it was only my name. On the front. How much pushback did you get that there? We got a lot. <laughs> and then the second record, it was brutal. They were they were done um, letting us experiment. But they did, they would be, they would let us have some songs that were ours and then some songs that were meant to be mm -hmm. you know, pitched at radio. 
Like so, it was it was awkward for a young person to be trying to negotiate that with my band and um and and the record label and understanding that's that tough. I was, I'm gonna get no record deal or this record deal, right? right? And this record deal was pretty amazing. Did you understand like? The first time you went in the studio with Nashville Cats, mm -hmm. I remember, because I did the same thing. I got signed and made a record and fought mm -hmm. to have my band on it. Yeah. And I got a lot of pushback. Mm -hmm. And I remember some of the producers I was in, uh, interviewing or talking, having lunch with to see if we want to work together. I didn't understand it because I hadn't worked with the Nashville guys. They were right. like, well, we can do it with your band. It's just going to take a lot longer and it's going to be a lot of work. And, mm -hmm. and I was like, well, whatever. You know, I was young too. Right. And then the first time I went in the studio with those guys, it's like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh boy. <laughs> this is some power. Right. It's like, yeah. Did you, you know, I was really, I was worried about sounding, about sounding like a sellout. Yeah. So for me, that sound wasn't good. I didn't like it. I wanted it to be just a little weirder. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and that, so that was tricky too, trying to get these amazing, incredible, world-class musicians um to make your record sound interesting and not like everything that else, other stuff which is what the producer wants them to do is make it sound like everything else so yeah I was, that's where the that's where the trouble was that's troubling i mean it's tough mm -hmm. that is tough and that's funny oh, i remember where i was going with my story <laughs> earlier about the tailgaters is that i wanted to do that that was a dream to me would be to be um that kind of person playing really cool rock rooms, rootsy clubs, right? A dream to get to do that. And I skipped it. You know, like I did play a bunch of rock clubs, but we you. didn't have big following or anything. And and then I went and I here I am in this, you know, country big country superstar world. And I'm not prepared for that. I've never dreamed of doing that. I mean do I want to be incredibly successful? Yes, I would love that, but that was I was not prepared for that. And so to me it's funny that after I made what I deserve and I had more success in this kind of independent world that I was able to go find the career path that fit me, that I could understand and that I could be successful at. Yeah. So. That makes total sense. Yeah. But that's also what I was talking about. The expectations of that. I mean, I can see how that happened. Not happened to you, but did happen to you because you're young, you're beautiful. You have this incredible voice. You can write, you have a, you have a sense of identity that's, that is bubbling and okay. so it seems like expectations were put on you by others. And, and then you, then you, get, I mean, I hate to, yeah. I'm not trying to dissect you, but it's like, then you have this voice that you haven't found yet that, right. that disappears on you when you open your mouth. Right. <laughs> so I'm just, It's miraculous <laughs> that, that any of that happened. It really is. Well, and, and so you, I look back on it as the greatest gift. I mean, I this nothing kid got to go in there and work with these amazing world-class musicians and producers and um, record company people and, and photographers and makeup artists and, I mean, unreal uh, learning experience. Absolutely. That, you know, some of it I miss, you know, and in the world that I fit better in, but yeah, I mean, you brought still, your own makeup in here today. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and I dressed myself and I did my own hair, <laughs> but 
you know, I remember. And I, <laughs> and I took some of that stuff with me. Right. You know, learned. Right now, I'm trying to just keep learning. I want to be in a learning mode. Like, to me, that is what keeps depression at bay and fear and anxiety is if you can find a way to keep learning. Absolutely. You don't have time to worry about it too much. Have you dealt with depression? Um, a little bit. I've had phase, you know, phases, um, dark times, but not like, like seriously, not where like I thought, you know, I needed to get on medication. I just, you know, I probably should have gone on some medication at some point, <laughs> like my anxiety issues, like now the medication is available for that stuff, mm -hmm. which, um, I think it, I'm all in favor of it. I have a lot of people in my life that I know do it and it really helps them. But it wasn't a thing back then when I had my when I when I We have a recurring character <laughs> in this podcast. Um back when I had all that social anxiety, like I think I kind of cured myself for the most part in that in immersion therapy. Like I just had to keep going out on stage. I had to keep doing radio interviews. I had to keep doing it. And then finally you got comfortable. Okay. And, but it was bad for several years. <laughs> it's not like it happened quickly, but I've always thought of that. I mean, I think I don't know many performers that I like that didn't have anxiety about mm -hmm. it you know right. i mean it's almost like um i've always thought of it the stage is like a, a waterfall yeah like right at the end of the stage is the waterfall yeah have you ever i remember i just remember thinking of this one time when i walked i think i was even in a like a fake waterfall like a pool uh -huh. and it was coming down but when you walk through it you don't you i always think that somebody's gonna punch you in the face <laughs> Because <laughs> like, you can't see anything for a second. Right. Oh, yeah. And then you come in and then you're in this whole other environment. Uh -huh. And that's what I always feel like going on stage is like. Or? Yeah, like it's my job to walk through that waterfall and, mm -hmm. and then connect with whatever's on the other side. Right. But it's that same feeling of like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Go. Are they going to hit me in the face? Yeah. I, yeah. And I've, it's like right before showtime, I go, why am I doing this? <laughs> Who does this? Why would you do this? Why am I going to go on stage and talk to people? And it's just crazy. I had that a little bit today. Right. I mean, anytime there's a, there's something that we've set up to have a good time. Yeah. And you're thinking two days ago, I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be so it's fun. Be great. And then you go to do it. You're like, why do I do this? <laughs> like, oh, God, is Kelly coming? <laughs> oh. Maybe she'll cancel. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit, I'm going to be judged again on the camera. Oh. <laughs> but then you get into it and you lose yourself. That's right. that's the beauty of what we do is that yeah. once you lose yourself, then you come out and you're like, oh, my God, that was great. Yeah, it is. It's really fun. I was telling my son the other day, I was trying to figure out what other job I could do. And he's like, mom, you have the best job in the whole world. And I'm like, you know what? I do. You're right. I Sometimes you just forget. And you're like, because it is also difficult. It's a difficult job. It's like you have to keep reinventing yourself. You have to keep finding a way for people to care what you're doing and be willing to book you because you have a new record. You know, you just... Cre to continue the creativity is challenging. Yeah, it is. It's so funny you say that. I mean, I think it might just be our age and where we're at yeah. personally of like, I've done the same thing. Like, what what could I do? And then, I, <laughs> right. and and then, then I'm then, like, nothing. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, oh, that would take like years of education. I'm, like, I'm not doing that. Like, <laughs> Right. Imagine somebody trying to become an artist right it would take years of yeah all the things that we've been talking about for the last hour yeah. are all the things that allow us to 
you kind of have to be stupid at the beginning of any career. <laughs> That's you kind of right. have to not even think about what's going to be hard about it in order to do it, whatever it is. I know. Well, remember, did you were you ever in drama or anything in high school? Yeah, a little bit. You you were <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> What'd you do? I just I well I did a play in ninth grade. I did some plays in middle school, but I also, I got into college under the drama major back before people knew that this was a way you could sneak into hard schools. So I got into Virginia Tech as a drama major and then I didn't go. I moved to Austin instead, but I couldn't act. I was terrified. I couldn't, I mean, <laughs> what was I thinking? And I mean, I've gone out and read for stuff in LA a million times and it's like, I mean, these people, they have good intentions, but they don't know what <laughs> they're <laughs> getting into. Anything I did get booked for, it was like without an audition. And then they just had to deal with it afterwards. That's great. But so did you do theater? I, I did. Just one year. I I had a locker right by the, in high school, I had a locker right by the drama department, uh -huh. the drama room. Okay. And I was in the athletics and stuff, and uh, I just remember that rip, that door would open and this energy would come out yeah. with these kids. And I knew them. Yeah. I wasn't really good friends with them, but I knew them. And they were, you could just feel that <laughs> coming out of that room. And I was yeah. like, I think those might be my people. Like, yeah. I mean, I it's I fun. like being a jock, and I like and I like being a cool guy, but. Those people are crying, they're laughing, they're screaming. Mm -hmm. And so my senior year, I had a, I had to take an elective. Mm -hmm. And um, so I took drama one. Yeah. And I ended up getting the lead part in the, really? in the play that year. How'd you do? Were you like a natural? I like, took to you were it. comfortable. I loved it. That's nice. Well, I got to play. I was kind of typecast or whatever, like. Mm -hmm. There was, there was a guy who did all the plays. His name was Chuck. And he was a really good actor. But they they did the play called The Rainmaker, mm -hmm. where this guy has to sell. There's a I've drought in Oklahoma. Uh -huh. And um, I was a traveling okay. shuckster. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> and that so, makes sense. So they, got, they said, <laughs> my audition was to stand on a table and carry a stick and tell everybody how I was going to bring rain to town. And they go, Oh yeah, you're full of shit. Perfect. <laughs> Where's that kid that's full of shit? Yeah. I wake up in my drama one class. But yeah. Awesome. I don't know where we were going with that. I, I think it was just a way. Well, my mom was an actress. She was a nurse. Oh, that's right. She was a nurse and an actress. And so I wanted to be a nurse or an actress or in the army. I, I had a, Zero vision other than <laughs> what my parents were. So, um, yeah. What I, did your mom, did you, Did she do TV or stage stuff? or Stage. She did a lot of community theater. When in the military, you know, you're just, you're, you, she had very little control over where she was going to be at any one time. So she could do the community theater, though. And um, But then she did theater in New York and in L.A. Was she like a typical actress like like was she up she and down and and loud and or was she quiet and understated huh. i don't know that she was a uh she was she loved to sing she was so she did musical theater mm -hmm. and she did she sang when she was in high school in a little group so she'd like to be doing that she'd definitely love to be the center of attention and singing and just yeah, she was she was theatrical, I guess. Yeah, what was her name? Julia. Well, Ju she had many last names because she did get married four times. But <laughs> Julia Cooper was her maiden name. My sister's name's Julia. Oh, really? It's a pretty name. It is. They fought over it in the. So there, there's also a Julia in the Robinson family, and so there was a lot of fighting over that name. So we got a Juliana and a Julia. In the cousins group down there, so See, or the nieces and nephews. You, lo you lost out. Lost out, yeah. Is Abby ever gonna like me? You think? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> what did she? Maybe have? my voice cracks. 
uh, sure. What did she have to say when you, you told her you were coming out of here? <laughs> I, t I don't remember what we did. I was mentioning that I was going to do this thing. And I think I said, Jack's easy to talk to, though. He talks to everybody. And and I think she just was like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he talks a lot. What everybody. did I do to her? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. She's 19. Yeah. Abby. I don't know, but my friend Stacy threw her in a pool when she was little, and she's never forgiven her for that either. Just, I think it might be Abby. Maybe it's Abby. It's not you. Abby, we can be friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good talking to you. It's great talking to you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, this was fun. Have a pick. Aw, which one is this? Well, I don't know. Picked it at random. I can't read that far. Well, here, you need a Jack Ingram pick. I definitely need a Jack Ingram pick. Thank you. Taking guitar lessons. You are? I am. Like to play lead or just play more jazzy just to play chords? better so I can do um, song swaps and be a little more self-sufficient. I've thought about doing that too. I'm taking it from Kevin Carroll. He's really? such a great teacher. I haven't seen him in years. He's great. I mean... It's also a little bit like paying someone to be your friend for an hour. Mm -hmm. It's nice. It's <laughs> it's like you feel good, and then you're like, oh, yeah, I paid him to do that. That's but. funny. <laughs> is it technical, or do you all just play, and he just kind of teaches you fingerings? He is uh, – he's kind of takes the, the whole approach, so kind of we started with strumming, strumming patterns. Like he watches you play and kind of sees what might be helpful for you. And then, so I hadn't taken guitar lessons since I first learned how when I was 18. And I've just learned as, a, as I need to know kind of a basis. Yeah. And so we're doing the C scale and we're learning how to pick the intro to If I Left You. And now I'm supposed to be learning how to pick um, Wildwood uh, Flower. Flower. So, you know, to, I do everything in C. So I'm just learning how to... You do? I do. So if I learn how to, you know, maneuver in the key of C on other stuff, and hopefully I'll be able to do simple pickups, you know. Intros. You might have just gotten Kevin some more business. I've been trying to figure out who I would. He's great. You got to go. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. Thanks. Dude. That was fun. That was great. Are you okay? You were great. super nervous.